This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Another episode, a very special episode of Vet Candy's podcast in other news, a podcast that will expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. I am your only host today. I'm Dr. Jen Chatfield. And if you're not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, I want to know why not, but please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. You can also reach me at jen at myvetcandy.com if you just want to sound off, shout out, or just send me a lovely message. Our topic today is actually the food supply, commercial food animal stuff in the face of the coronavirus pandemic. We're going to say what's going on, and since Dr. Jason isn't here, I'm going to say in other news, we still have to eat? During a pandemic? Yes, that's true. So first, let me explain to you guys. So of course, like usual, I am coming to you from the closet in the cottage on the farm for my better audio. And uh, Dr. Jason is absent. He is, yes, he is still in the basement, don't worry. But we have a lot of incredible guests today. And it's kind of a ladies' day. It is a ladies' day. And you may be thinking to yourself, but wait. I thought she said we were going to talk about commercial agriculture, and it's a ladies' day. That's right, people. That's right. The ladies, the ladies are making sure that your food supply is safe. So we have some incredible women with us today. Let me introduce you all before we get too far into this, because we're going to have a rip-roaring convo all about what's going on in the food animal industry. So first, we have Dr. Karen Grogan with us. Hey, Karen. Hi, Jen. How are you? And you guys might remember Dr. Karen also was with us on our podcast episode, The Rise of the Urban Chicken Continues. So she is, you might have guessed, a poultry expert. And she is a clinical associate professor. Is that right? Correct. Okay. At the University of Georgia. University of Georgia. Yep. In the poultry... The Poultry Diagnostic and Research Center. There we go. Poultry. That's a mouthful. Poultry Diagnostic and Research Center. All you have to know is Georgia is the number one poultry producing state. So oh, are, oh, oh, that's a fun fact. Fun okay, fact. all right. No pressure to my uh, pork friends I'm about to introduce here. <laughs> so we have the incredible Dr. Heather Fowler. Hey, Heather. Hello. Yes, so she, um, she's joining us, and she is the Director of Public Health and producer produ- and producer, public health. Producer and public health. I knew I would get it. Producer, so many P's. The yeah. Director of Producer and Public Health for the National Pork Board. Yes. Excellent. Welcome. And I should say that Dr. Karen is coming to us from Georgia and Dr. Heather is coming to us from New Jersey. Yep. New Jersey. I work here in my remote office. Okay. Excellent. And also joining us, because it is an embarrassment of riches today, news hounds, the Candyverse is overwhelmed. We have Dr. Lisa Becton. Hey, Dr. Lisa. Hello. How are you guys? Great. And Lisa is the Director of Swine Health for the National Pork Board, yes? That's correct. Wonderful. And you're coming to us from? Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina. Excellent. But uh, I should say for our listeners, just for the point of clarification, where is the national, the headquarters for the National Pork Board? Our main office is located in Des Moines, Iowa. 
That's what I but thought. But Heather and I both get to work remotely in our different locations. Especially right now, right? Mm. Like, like uh, in, in the face of a pandemic, <laughs> you guys do that routinely because I imagine you have a fair amount of travel, but with the pandemic. So, so we're going to talk about it. So the reason that I wanted to bring all of you together is not just because you're lovely ladies, but because of you have giant brains and incredible experience with food animal production. And everything in the news right now that I'm seeing is talking about our food supply. And of course, it's sensationalized. You know, the headlines are food supplies in danger. There's not going to be any chicken on the shelves no pork like all kinds of stuff is being sensationalized and in the candy verse we like to keep it real right keep it 100 percent. so what's happening in y'all's world anybody what's happening i can go first i will say that there's not a shortage of supply if anything we're seeing disruptions along the supply chain because okay. of the pandemic because it's folks are calling out sick and you know maybe being exposed and self-quarantining, we're seeing those breaks in that supply chain. So I okay. think it, there's just a lot of confusion of, is there ample supply? There is. We just need to make sure that we're keeping people healthy at work so that they can make sure it gets to our grocery stores. Right, right. And actually, I would say, and we'll come back around to this because there are many of us on this podcast right now who are very interested in preventing any transmission of pathogens from commercial ag workforce to the animals <laughs> and vice versa. And so in poultry, where there's just been a bunch of stuff going on in poultry too, right, Karen? Correct. And, and I think to echo the same on the poultry side, we have plenty of supply. The okay. problem is that a lot of our supply and contracts were destined for certain markets. They're mm -hmm. destined for food service or restaurants or cruise ships, or mm -hmm. they're very specific markets. Like you get mm -hmm. into a contract, you're supplying Popeyes. Well, people aren't going to Popeyes in the right. numbers that they were going to Popeyes anymore. Mm -hmm. So then we have actually X, we have surplus chicken. Mm -hmm. Then you compound that by maybe in there are areas where workers are getting sick. Mm -hmm. So then the plants are not running at full capacity. So our plants may be uh, slowing down mm -hmm. and maybe only running at 50% capacity. So we still, but we still have chickens that need, that are at a certain age and they need yep. to be processed. Right. And our current feedback is, is what I'm hearing is that companies are taking a proactive step and they're actually, we have a shorter lifespan than say pigs. Right they're choosing to cut back production by 20% by meaning they're just not setting the number of hatching eggs that will then yeah. get you uh, an eventual broiler chicken to go to yeah. market. Because that's much easier to manipulate when we talk about poultry, right? Because Absolutely. you either you incubate the eggs or you break the eggs. Right. Yeah. Right. But with, with pork, with swine, that's Dr. So Becton, it's not quite the same thing, <laughs> right? No, unfortunately it isn't. Um, you know, we all deal with the life cycle of an animal in, in mm -hmm. production agriculture. And, and so what a lot of our producers are doing and, and us at the pork board are trying to assist with are looking at things like how can we slow growth rates? Can we use, you know, different alternative ingredients so that they're not growing as fast? Did you guys um, ever think when you went into yeah. commercial ag that you would be looking for ways to slow growth rates? Did you ever think that? You, <laughs> you'd be thinking, uh, you know, I have to say this is really, truly an unprecedented time. I've been through a couple disease outbreaks, and I know Dr. Uh -huh. Grogan has as, with Dr. Fowler, but mm -hmm. I don't think any of us saw this coming to this extent. And really, all of the, the roaring down effects <laughs> this has had, not just on agriculture, but on everyone. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think any of us could have foreseen this. 
Not yeah, at all. No. no. And in fact, in uh, back in January at Vet Candy, we were the Vet Candy family was together, and we were all we were shooting some videos and getting some um, good content out. And we had a conversation, and I remember it crystal clear because at that point, I think the coronavirus had moved into Japan, and mm-hmm. the Japanese government had taken what was considered to be like this unprecedented step at the time, which is now just normal, and closed all of the schools. And so we were wondering, like, will that happen in the U.S.? And we're like, no. (laughs) And here we are. And here we are. (laughs) And I would never, you know, would I I ever have ever predicted that um, something like coronavirus would impact the food supply Mm -hmm. the way it has? And we have all this excess. And so, you know, restaurants are closed. I haven't been out to eat. You know, I mean, I get a drive-thru right? I go through a drive-thru because I just can't cook another night. Go through the drive-thru, but I haven't been out to eat to have like a good steak, you know, right? in weeks, in weeks. And so a lot of places are still open. There's a huge movement of supporting local businesses. So Mm -hmm. here where I am in New Jersey, I try to see who's open and try to support Mm -hmm. those individuals just Mm -hmm. as a kind of good member of society, essentially. Oh, yeah. No, my local, uh, we have a local uh, Mexican food place, and we used to go for breakfast a couple times a week. I still go pick up my breakfast taco. I just have to go inside to get it and stay six feet away oh, from anybody. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, and if you think about it, look at the, the amount of time our schools have all been down. And that's, if you look at food supply, what is oh, a huge yeah. consumer, who is a huge consumer of our products, yeah, of meat and, yeah. meat and poultry products. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't think anybody would have ever figured mm-hmm. this to happen for this length of time either. So it's both adults and children are like, are really being impacted and everybody is. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that uh, it's, it's not like there's fewer people eating, you know, it's not like the all way of a we're sudden, eating. Right. It's the way we're eating. It. <laughs> yeah, and and so, where you're consuming it. Yeah. Where are you getting it from? What is it? And how are you consuming it? And all those kids, you know, if you think about it, it's a massive number of kids that are fed every day in this country, breakfast, lunch, and a snack, you know, after school, through programs at school. And so Mm -hmm. you have to wonder how that's having an impact on kids that may not have that available at home, right? They're food insecure. And so that just pains me because I know that's happening. And then I see a a report that says that um, producers are having to just cull um, because they have excess, uh, either they have excess production at their place and nowhere for it to go. Um, no distribution mechanism because it would have ordinarily gone down one lane or, you know, they're destroying fresh produce. There's nowhere for it to go because restaurants aren't buying it. And that was their normal market. And so it goes back to what you mentioned, um, Dr. Grogan, about they're producing because they have a contract for a specific market and that market goes away. So does the commercial ag industry not pivot quickly to kind of set up those other alternate distribution routes or is it just not allowed in a contract or what what is what's happening with that? At least from our side, um, what I what I have seen and what I understand is the way that the product goes out the door packaged is really uh, the equipment in the processing plant, like what we call tray pack for poultry. Like so, when you go in, okay. and you buy a styrofoam tray of boneless, uh-huh. skinless thighs. It comes packaged out of the plant in that packaging like with the Tyson or the Purdue or whatever label. Same for, I think, pork products. Like it comes out packaged with the Mm -hmm. brand name. And then for restaurant, it comes out in bulk boxes. Well, Ah. the the plant that sends stuff out in a bulk box, bulk packaging, like a 40-pound box, 
they do not have the equipment to go and put that in a tray pack to send it to a grocery store. Ah, that makes sense. Is it what the same would have the... to happen is uh -huh. that grocery store retail establishments would have to buy the bulk box and then tray pack. Repackage it. Mm -hmm, repackage. Okay. And is it the same on the pork side too? You know, a lot of that does happen. Yes. And you know, as far as contracts, you know, producers have set amounts of animals that go to a set packer each and every week. And, and that is something that's set up in their contract. Uh -huh. And so when that gets disrupted, producers only have so much flex in their ability to do things with those animals. So, I mean, we're looking at every available option to try to hold on to animals, to take advantage of that production before we've got to really become and look at dire circumstances yeah. such as removal from a herd. Yeah. But people are being, you know, very creative. Creative. We're looking at mm -hmm. trying to engage more local lockers, looking at, you know, having reefer trailers, big truck trailer sales of these products, just like Dr. Grogan was saying, just to be able to keep that product moving. But mm -hmm. the biggest challenge is, like Dr. Fowler said, is just having the labor force to be able to process the animals yeah. themselves. And that's um, because and, they're, and that they're, also, getting, they're testing positive or they're being, you know, having a quarantine issue issued. Is that right? Like that's impacting the labor force that would be able to help provide a little more flexibility maybe for that. Is that, is that, that's that impact that's happening, right? Yes. So we're seeing, I mean, just like we're seeing nationwide and we have mm -hmm. certain areas that have higher incidence than others, we're just seeing, you know, just lots of transmission and it's not always at work. So we, mm -hmm. we realize that it can be an occupational risk. I'm using air quotes, but this is audio. Um, <laughs> it's okay. we, so at work, you can you. be exposed to, to coworkers yeah. potentially, but you're also exposed when you go home and, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's someone in your household has it, you have a visitor, mm -hmm. you know, you go out and you're at the grocery store, you just mm -hmm. to pick up your meds from the pharmacy, you can be exposed too. So just given the nature of this disease makes it mm -hmm. really, really hard. And it's really important impacting us, you know, across all industries. Yeah. So, you know, what I wonder too is, uh, because I mean, the news hounds know my love uh, for infectious disease. And I just wonder, because, you know, when, in my limited experience, biosecurity is a big stinking deal in commercial ag production, right? And so if you're processing meat, you've got on PPE, like PPE is not a new thing mm -hmm. for people who work in commercial ag. And so, I think it's a good point that you make, Dr. Fowler, that perhaps the folks who work in those plants or work at those farms, we have to remember they're humans and they go to the grocery store, they go to the movies, they have a life um, <laughs> outside the farm. I hope they do. They have a life outside the farm. And so that human to human transmission, community transmission that we're seeing, we don't need to panic because... I mean, I would guess it's unlikely that they're picking up this disease at work because they wear PPE at work. You know, I guess it's possible because anything's possible, but it's more likely they're picking it up out in the community, would you think? I'm not entirely sure. I can tell you, um, and I'm sure all the folks know that CDC has guidelines on for every situation. It's like you oh, go yeah. to the park and at your job and over here mm -hmm. and over there. And I think it's great that they've been putting out those guidances mm -hmm. because we do have to be conscious in all areas. But as you said, um, they recently released um, guidance for meat and meat packers and process. Right. So what to do, like how to really adapt their workplace environment. Mm -hmm. A lot of places have already put into place these rules, but mm -hmm. um, I think it gave some really good guidance. And again, on top of what they've said for mm -hmm. other workplaces in general and at home, because um, a lot of what, at least here in New Jersey, we're hearing about kind of family 
I keep me in the the, air, the rabbit ears. I know I you guys. Like if you guys could see her talk, like she's saying six thousand times more because she's talking with her hands. <laughs> the Jersey girl in me, but That's we're right. tons of family clusters, right? So yeah. what is it? Was it Andrew Cuomo? I want to say yes. he had it, and then his wife had it, but he was yeah, reporting was from his basement, up. so he did yeah. try yes. to like separate himself. But, but was, you can't. It's, it's yeah, hard. And so again, there's guidance out there about how to clean and disinfect. Just given the nature of the disease, it can be really tough. Um, yes. We're seeing transmission in all places, but we're trying to definitely minimize them yeah. at work. Well, but and I'm not, I'm not so yeah. sure that it like we should hang it up on disinfection because we know that this is an enveloped virus, right? And uh, the Candyverse is aware. And if, you, if you've forgotten, go back and listen to those podcast episodes when we had Dr. Whitaker on. It's an envelope virus. It's, it's not incredibly hardy in the environment. It's, you know, it's mostly human to human transmission, but it, it's because you're asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. You have no outward symptoms and you can be shedding it, I think is the real issue. Absolutely. So even if you're Lysoling the crap out of everything, yeah. as soon as someone gets sick in your household, eh, the horse may already be out of the barn. Can I use that mm -hmm. pun? Like we don't have any equine people on. But. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and even with symptomatic cases, the thought is that you start shedding at least 24, 48 hours before. Yeah, before. On yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like influenza. So yeah. And so I guess the other thing that I want to uh, make sure and say is that the CDC and you guys, because this is your job, you're not concerned that folks working in the food supply chain are going to get this disease from exposure to their work product, from the meat they're processing or from whatever. You're concerned yeah. that they're going to get the disease from their coworkers, really. That's what you're concerned about. Correct. Yes, they're all nodding their heads, people. Correct. Okay. Yes. That, right. that, that to me <laughs> is really something I think your listeners need to understand is our food supply is safe. You are not going to mm -hmm. get this from eating beef, pork, chicken, the vegetables that you get. The virus is not going to be there. It is from an interaction that you have with a person. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, our, our plants understand sanitation and cleanliness. They are clean, clean, clean. Mm -hmm. um, so we know the methods to put in place. The problem is that in some of the processes that go on, having six feet of distance isn't really doable. Yeah. So in a lot of plants, mm -hmm. they've put in some type of partition. Um, they are providing workers with PPE. So they are trying to, we're basically mitigating risk. That's all this is about for all of us. All of these measures CDC is putting out, mm -hmm. we're trying to mitigate risk. So yep. that is the biggest reassurance is that we have the safest food supply and things are very clean. And this is just one more yep. hurdle that we have to get over. And, um, you know, I think we will see as virus transmission changes among populations of people, you will see it hit other areas. We, mm -hmm. we haven't really seen certain chicken plants have employee impacts as great as other industries, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean two weeks from now it won't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. As the virus starts to move to different states, it's going to change mm -hmm. its dynamic. So. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a good point. You know, if you're ever concerned about, you know, disease from the food supply chain, Hey, Aunt Jen's tip, cook the crap out of it <laughs> right and wash your hands and, and wash, wash your hands, hands. 145 right. for pork please right yeah. see there you go so like you don't have to cook it you, too much you, right. you, i mean but if you're scared when in doubt burn it 
unpleasant eating experience and we did look, not man, I, I didn't say you had to worry no. about taste or a culinary experience dr fowler right i, I'm care. Saying, if you're, I care about your experience <laughs> we i think we have a couple of foodies on with us right so i know karen's a foodie oh, yeah. i think heather's heather's a foodie i don't know if, dr lisa if you're a foodie or not yeah she yeah. is oh, oh yeah. my god yes. i'm surrounded you're surrounded I am the one that eats like a truck driver and I am surrounded by foodies. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about other diseases that are ongoing that have complicated the food supply industry. And, and then we're going to play a game with our guests. Um, and it'll be fun. It'll be good times. So uh, hang with us. We'll pay some bills. We'll be right back on the other side. That candy makes your life easier with scientific news, clinical updates, and expert lifestyle tips. Sign up for free at MyFatCandy.com and start making your life sweeter. Begging to hear more of your favorite show? Full episodes of all our shows are available on demand. Go to PetLifeRadio.com to fetch our entire lineup of possum pet podcasts. Also, dig us up in iHeartRadio and iTunes. Let's talk pets. Live and on demand only from PetLifeRadio. We have the dream team of ladies keeping the food supply safe, and uh, we're talking about COVID-19 and how it is having this kind of unpredicted and unprecedented, that was a great um, way to describe it, Dr. Beckton earlier, impact on the food supply as far as poultry and um, pork. And so we have experts here. So I want to talk about something else because, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. And I mean, there's all kinds of diseases. The news hounds, the candyverse is well aware of different diseases that can impact food supply. So there's other stuff going on. African swine fever, which we had a great podcast episode on, is still ongoing, right? It's not like it's not like they're only one disease at a time, right? Right. And fortunately for us in the United States and really in North America, we're not seeing that here. It's been a big, big problem overseas, especially Mm -hmm. in the different Asian countries and even in Europe where it's Mm -hmm. in the wild boar population. But I shouldn't even say it, but for right now, we have not ever had a diagnosis of African swine fever in the United States. Right. Do you guys hear that, Candyverse? That's Dr. Becton knocking super hard on a piece of wood right now. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to have it. No. And that's why, you know, we rely and work with our producers and everybody else that's involved in ag from USDA to our state vets to do everything we can to make sure that we don't and prevent it from happening. And I know on the poultry side, they do the same thing for their diseases, too. And so you would have actually, I would have thought, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, with African swine fever hitting in China, because China has the largest pig population, right, um, in the world. Mm But African swine fever has wiped out a significant part of that. And so they need pork. But we have pork. But did we immediately export a bunch in the face of COVID and everything else? Or did they shut the importation off? 
You know, we've been coming off of a trying time for the last several years just because of trade restrictions and Mm -hmm. policies and things that I'm not even going to get into. But it's not been an easy, it's not been an easy road for producers because of those things. However, in the last several months, even prior to COVID, we did have an opening up of our export markets and we're shipping product to China and we are still Mm -hmm. doing that now. However, the volume to get things out is still, Mm -hmm. you know, we're hindered by our ability to harvest pigs, to be able to get them into slaughter, to process them, and then ship those carcasses overseas. And that's that that labor force impact that Dr. Fowler was talking about with we can't process enough of it in that period of time. So that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, you guys might not know this, but apparently there's word on the street that um, I think that folks eat a lot of peacock in Asia, right? It's a gallon, you know, just a, a it's, you know, maybe Gallinous it tastes like a bird. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. They eat strange but, things. Hence well, they, they eat strange things compared to what it. we're familiar with. Like, you know me, Dr. Grogan, I never judge anyone's protein like source. Right. right. As long as you're not trying to like, you know, cut off some of me to try for your protein source. I'm <laughs> nice. Because it's been so long since Americans were hungry. Right. So yeah. right. eat what you like, just so don't true. do it where it hurts me. But, and slaughter it humanely. I like that. So, but all that like came to a crashing halt as far as importation because nothing was going into China when this all like hit the beginning of the year, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, 14, 1500 peacocks, like, what do you do with that? You know? And so it's incredible, like all these indirect impacts that are happening. And then Dr. Grogan, we were talking before, you were talking about the high path avian influenza outbreak recently that also hit the poultry industry. So yeah. you guys are not like facing just COVID impact alone. Right. We were, we were fortunate that uh, outbreak was limited to one flock, but it, it was just a compounded incident where we're already trying to deal with the impacts of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 mm-hmm. on our industry. And then, oh, wait, let's have a national animal health emergency <laughs> while we're at it. Right. Luckily, it was, it has been short-lived. And just yesterday, the control zone was lifted and there have been declared Again. Oh, so, good. So it's fully, yeah, that, that yeah. is fabulous because, you know, 2014 and 15 was, was enough AI for anybody. Right? And think, luckily, um, our export partners are supposed to recognize down to now the county level because of what happened in 2014 and 2015. Oh, so excellent. Exports should have just been restricted to just that one county in South mm-hmm. Carolina so that mm-hmm. we could continue trade. Because again, our trade markets just were reopened to China um, mm-hmm. within the past year. They had been shut because of that avian influenza yep. in yep. 2014, 2015. So our markets opened back up. And that's a huge market for us for yep. paw, what we call paws, especially the chicken feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so a couple of those things kind of sound like positive things. So let's move to a more positive part of the discussion, ladies. <laughs> So, let's have some, some good news. Let's have some, right. And the good news is, um, so yeah. So, so what are, what are we looking at moving forward? Okay. You know, as you know, everyone's talking about now, um, how the, in different places, the, the epi curve, and this is all, I'm going to wade into epi only with my like little toe because Dr. Fowler is like an epi expert. Epi queen. <laughs> I know. Right. And so she could quickly pick the ball up and run with it here. But, um, so I think we're saying that we've kind of have, have flattened the curve a little bit, at least in most places. Mm-hmm. And so like, what are we looking for moving forward now? 
and as it you know relates to uh, the food supply, what like what do we think is going to happen? What if you guys had to guess? Uh oh, uh oh, I stumped them. No, I, I, I think that um, I think our industries are adapting to mm-hmm. this challenge. All food production sectors are adapting. Um, mm-hmm. I think what we will see is as we have have dealt with this initial surge, as you see it, certain areas start to have cases rise again, then our industries, if they're affected, will learn how to deal with the local outbreaks. And it, and it may impact production on a small, you know, for that particular plant. But mm-hmm. I don't think that we're going to see a wide scale breaking of the food chain. I don't, I, food supply, I think is going to maintain. Mm-hmm. We may see instead of this year being predicted as finally we're going to get great years. I've read a thing uh, like the dairy prices have been in a mm-hmm. slump for four years and they were predicting this was going to be great for oh, them. Great. Yeah. No, not so much. Yeah. So this will not be a boon year for our industries, but I think we're resilient. I think, you know, we'll figure out how to slow growth. We've had the same discussions on chickens. We'll for, you know, I've heard they're putting cattle out on grass instead of feeding them in feedlots. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we just have to adapt to keep the processes going. And Mm -hmm. and I think Mm -hmm. that's what we'll see. And I think um, the other silver, go, no, go. I think the other silver lining is it, I hope in a couple of months we'll sit back on this and and do kind of some what went well, what didn't. But I think it will give us an opportunity to continue to strengthen our response and preparedness capabilities Mm -hmm. because should we get another disease, another widespread disease in any of our ag sectors, Mm -hmm. I hope this will continue to solidify our already existing relationships within all of the ag industry and with USDA and our state partners, but make sure that all of our plans are in place to help protect Mm us. Hopefully, you know, we'll learn, take the lessons and and apply them for the future. Well, I think that's like not a, not a, if we get another one, would you say Dr. Fowler? I mean, we're going to have emerging pathogens. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's unpredictable too, right? There are groups that spend millions of dollars trying to predict the next one, identify um, the different viruses. So that's the hard thing. If we knew when it was coming, we could be prepared. If we knew exactly what it was, Mm -hmm. what I find fascinating with SARS-CoV-2 is that it's so closely related to the original SARS that we named it Mm SARS-CoV-2. Right. But the the spread has been so much different. The response has been so different. so uh, I think that's the hard thing with emerging infectious diseases is mm-hmm. it depends on how it spreads, how infectious it is. This one's highly infectious. So, but I definitely think as Lisa said, there's a lot we can learn from it. So if another one comes, we'll have similar, you know, we have similar rules at the state and local levels. So hopefully it won't be quote unquote as bad, but it all depends on what that pathogen is and, and yeah. when it hits and how. Yeah. And so that's why I say, like, uh, I think being prepared, as Dr. Becton and Dr. Grogan mentioned, too, is, I mean, it's, it truly is not a question of, of if. It's just a question of when. And so we, we have to be prepared for it. And so another thing that I want to make sure and give an opportunity for you guys to do is because uh, you guys... You- you guys are kind of like three unicorns, veterinarians <laughs> working in commercial ag and women. And so if you guys could quickly just kind of tell us a little bit about uh, food industry as a job, like it's a career for veterinarians for either those who are about to come out of vet school, you know, what would be like your number one tip or what drew you to the industry? And then, you know, something for folks who are already practicing clinically, but maybe you're thinking, you know, 
I like pigs. I like chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Dr. Fowler, can we, can we start with you? Sure. Um, I think for me, as a, I came to the animal ag world. I grew up in urban towns in, in New Jersey here. Right, the um, urban sprawl. Yeah, exactly, the <laughs> urban sprawl, the concrete jungle of New Jersey. Yes. I had very little exposure to agriculture, and I kind of came through by way of public health. And mm-hmm. I'm really happy in my job. I get to you know, talk with producers and discuss public health guidelines and help them understand it. So I can, mm-hmm. I can still do that public health piece. I can be involved in research and education and outreach. So it's a perfect place for me. So if you're interested in public health, I don't think many public health veterinarians would have thought, oh, let me look up National Pork Board, see if they're hiring. <laughs> um, but, but I'm glad I found it. Actually, a good colleague of mine told me yeah. about the job. So I think, yeah. you know, there's there's all sorts of work and industry and I think people should be open to it and can find a, a good job. And I'm really happy right now. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Dr. Becton. You know, I've been in this industry oh, over 26 years, started out in production, working for a production company. And I, I did that because I enjoy production agriculture. I wanted to have an impact with the food that we grew. I never did think I was going to work in the pork industry, but I've been in it since I graduated vet school, only because truthfully, me and cattle never got along. I got run over once and said, forget that mess. Um, No cows for you. Yeah, in all seriousness, I I do enjoy that side. I've got a master's in food safety. I love the plant operations. And so there's a lot of different careers involved, whether you want to be in live production or if you want to be on the plant side, there's always places to bring your veterinarian knowledge and even some unconventional places like you know CDC now or FDA USDA because there's a lot of people that are becoming less and less involved in farms and so there's always going to be a place for us in ag yeah and Dr. Grogan I probably similar background um, with Lisa I actually grew up with cattle and that's what I thought I was going to do I was going to be a large animal you know James Harriet kind of vet take care of all things great but um, I did an externship with a company that did swine and uh, turkeys in eastern North Carolina and I was like you know what I enjoy this like it's production ag but I just really like production agriculture and I like the problem solving aspects Mm -hmm. of it and you're dealing with a huge population like that's really I was having this conversation today with another poultry that that works for an integrator and he was like this is all population health dynamics he was like how come we're not at the table telling people how to figure this out thank you (laughs) (laughs) so I love the diversity of what we do within agriculture um, as veterinarians. Like Lisa said, uh, technical service, supporting our industry, um, allied companies, state labs. Our state diagnostic labs have Mm -hmm. veterinarians that have, you know, we need those people to diagnose these diseases. But we also have to have our colleagues in private practice. Um, help us recognize Mm -hmm. things that might show up in small herds or small flocks like the exotic Newcastle in California that was a small animal vet right right so we all have to be partners in this and now I've kind of found my my true passion which is training training the next generation so I'm back teaching and I love teaching vet students they (laughs) have because some of them probably haven't even seen a commercial poultry operation right never been on no i show them pictures and they're like what 
It's crazy. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, I love that. I truly love that. Um, and so if you're listening out there and if you're a veterinarian or if you're an animal care professional and you, you're thinking, you know, I, I, have, I have an interest in that. There's nothing that says you can't pursue that. And there's nothing wrong with it. And you can be incredibly happy yeah. doing it. And so I would encourage everyone, um, no matter what your interest is, if you've got one, hey, go chase that. And so I, I love that all three of you were willing to talk about it. Okay, so now comes our game time, <laughs> right? It is on. Okay, <clears throat> ladies, so I am going, and you guys can totally play as a team, okay? So Great. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you like um, truth or myth, right? Okay. So you guys tell me if it's, if it's for real or if it's like that's on the internet, okay? <laughs> All right, so, so we'll start with what I think is probably an easy one. So is the color of my chicken going to predict the color of the egg? That is a myth. Oh, Heather knows. <laughs> did Heather say she knew? No, she did this. So the, uh -oh. color, the color of the egg uh -huh. can be predicted by the earlobe color of the chicken. Okay. If there is a white sheen to the egg, yes, chickens have and, ears. I was going to say, in other news, the chicken has earlobes. So what, could I pierce my chicken's ears? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> okay, so the earlobe. If there's a white sheen to the earlobe, mm -hmm. they lay a white egg. If it's red, they lay a brown egg. Okay, so red earlobes is not an embarrassed chicken. Not an embarrassed chicken. It's one that's going to lay a brown egg. Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. Okay, all right. So let's see. Here's one that says the U.S. Oh, okay. Well, this is easy. Is the U.S. the top pork producer in the world? Do no. We produce no. Okay, where are we? It, where are we in the rankings? I think we're like, oh, uh, if you discount the EU, I think we're either third maybe i can't remember heather yeah. i know china is number one uh-huh um and then eu comes in behind that only because they're a block right and there's brazil and us i think so we're in okay. the top five for sure okay awesome did were we ever number one for pork no the the china has so many more millions of pigs than okay. the u.s does how did you guys and, let and that any happen? other company i thought america well, was gonna be number one <laughs> come on heather lisa we have the best uh, pork. How about that? Oh, oh there you go. Yes, pork. we do. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And probably, okay. And probably one of the most cost effective too. Oh, See? that's true. Maybe. So here's the other thing. Is pork truly the other white meat? <laughs> <laughs> Just had this discussion with my 13 year old today. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> no, she's like, you know, I just don't think I'm going to eat red meat. So I'm just letting her, you know, teenagers have these, yes. you know, yeah, realizations in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. like, I just, I don't know. I just don't really like it. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm just letting her go on. And she was like, I'm just going to eat um, white meat. And I said, okay, well, what are those? And she was like, oh, chicken, maybe fish. And I was like, well, where does pork fall? And she was like, well, I guess that's white meat too. And I was like, oh, okay. Yep. Oh, okay. Just good to know. Good yeah. to know. You guys, Dr. Fowler was still laughing too hard to respond <laughs> to this. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we said that we're not the number one pork producers. America's not. But is America the number one chicken produ poultry producer? Um, 
there's always a back and forth with, well, us and Brazil. Hey, um, what is happening in Brazil? You mentioned them with the pork, too. Oh, it's all mm-hmm. about economics. They have oh. cheap food. You know, we need grains to feed animals, right? Yeah. Efficiently. Yeah. So they can yeah. raise cheap corn in Brazil. And they have oh. cheap, well, I, should, I shouldn't use the word yeah. cheap. Less Expensive. or more cost-effective labor force. Right. There you go. That's right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Dr. Grogan, friends, entering politics tomorrow. No. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and my other maybe question, that's the export market. I do think we raise more pounds or something. We we're it's yeah. it's always back and forth. So basically, yeah. I could look at the statistics and somehow I could say we're number one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Georgia. Okay, report. so I do know this: if you took Georgia and separated it out as a country on its own, we would be like number six or seven. Oh, it's just you know, the state of Georgia. I can't do that because I'm produce. from Texas. And we're the only state that was its own country. Oh, like so. You want it to be your own country. <laughs> okay. So what about potbelly pigs? Do people eat potbelly pigs? I've heard that people oh, eat potbelly pigs. Where? No? Well, probably. If you just want a small not. pork meal? No? <laughs> if you want a mini no. pork top. <laughs> but is it the same pork got, meat? The yeah. answer is probably not no. Because the genetics of the pig are different. Yeah. What about guinea um, pigs? Because uh, that's not South even America. That's, that's, <laughs> they, eat, they do. They eat those or in South America. Them. Yeah, they do, but they're they're not of the Suez species. <laughs> they straighten her out. Lisa. Ooh, Lisa's on it today. Okay. Oh, All right. Dang. So okay. So, so here's something else. So I'm watching TV and I'm seeing commercials, and they say we never. We're the brand that never uses antibiotics mm-hmm. in our chickens mm-hmm. okay Lord. you had to go there I'm just <laughs> so does anybody put antibiotics in their chickens i thought you couldn't use them yes we are allowed to use antibiotics under a veterinary client patient relationship uh-huh. and we use antibiotics in a um prudent fashion but you can't to use them as like disease, right? To treat disease, only to treat disease. They so can you're... be used to prevent or treat disease, right? right. Okay, all right. Yes. Good to know. So Good we know. can use antibiotics. Okay, there and... is a push back from our customers, like right. McDonald's, Chick Fil A, right? Whoever, Kroger, I don't, you know, whoever. But they don't is, want antibiotics. Says, we don't want you to. We want no antibiotics ever. Ever. Or we don't want you using antibiotics of human importance. Okay, but I would like you to use antibiotics because that's not fair to the chicken. Agreed. So <laughs> that is the flip side of the coin is that you cr- could create a welfare issue if you have yes. a disease that is treatable with an antibiotic. I know. And you as a veterinarian, and you've taken an oath, right? Yes. Suffering, that yes. Is it the same marketed- thing in the, in the pork industry, Dr. Fowler? I know you, had, you, were, you were wanting to break in there. So yes, we are allowed to use antibiotics for treatment, prevention, control. Um, we train on it in our PQA or Port Quality Assurance Plus program to make sure mm-hmm. that um, our producers are evaluating each and every use, that veterinarians are involved, and that they're using it responsibly. Okay, so it's not like they're just going to the feed store and dumping stuff in. Because that's the other thing. That's another myth, right? Can't do that. Right. Can't do that. Can't do it. Can't do it. Okay. This has been wonderful, ladies. It's been truly wonderful. And um, is there anything else that any of the three of you want to be sure that the Candyverse is aware of as it might relate to your industry, your profession, your day to day? Uh, <laughs> well, 
I know some of your reader, your, I was going to say readership, my goodness. Um, some of your listeners are other veterinarians and I mm -hmm. just want to encourage them, especially folks that may be small animal that have questions that you have folks like Dr. Grogan that you can call up if you, I'm telling them to call you. <laughs> she just passed if the you, book right there. If you, if you have questions or lean yeah. out to the industry, you know, if you have questions about what's going on in the industry or, you know, we have resources at the National Pork Board on our website, <laughs> but, you know, as a profession, I would love to see more solidarity and you know, um, especially amongst our small animal colleagues, if there is some question or concern yeah. about what we talked about today. So hopefully yes. that solves some questions. But if folks have follow up, you know, I'll be willing to. You know, that's a great point. So, yeah. So out in the Candyverse, we like people to be informed. We love for people to have differing opinions, but we really like for those to be informed differing opinions. Mm -hmm. And so if you've never stepped foot on a commercial ag property, maybe don't talk so much about it if you've never seen it. You know, maybe, maybe a little of that. Yeah. Yeah. A little of that. And then any myths that you guys feel like, like you just, that just need to be busted that I didn't bring up. Any other myths? No. Well, you know, the biggest one is that people don't think that we're just all mass production and the, the dreaded word factory farm oh, behind yeah. every pig, behind every animal, there is a person taking care of that animal mm -hmm. and all of us really really care for about the production and the farmers and the people that take care of our animals and create the food supply yeah. and so even though a lot of our detractors don't have a lot of nice terms you have to think behind every farm there's a person a family you know people that are lovingly taking care of these animals and giving them the best life they can knowing that they are still there for our food and food supply mm -hmm. so we are people uh -huh. too and we do eat I think that's wonderful. That's a wonderful sentiment. And Dr. Grogan, you were going to say? That was well said. I think that's part of, I'm sure Lisa can relate in production. Like that's part of my favorite parts of my job is actually going to farms and, and relating okay. to the actual growers themselves and, mm -hmm. and your, your outreach mm -hmm. to producers, Heather, like they, they genuinely care. Yeah. And that's what I think is probably extra devastating for some of these people. Like I can't imagine a farmer who's got pigs that are, you know, ready to process. And, and this is their livelihood. Mm -hmm. This is what they are passionate about. And they are, they love their farms and, you know, we want to feed the world and we do it in a very responsible manner. And a lot of the things yep. that get said about us, it's just misconceptions and it's mm -hmm. just um, a lot of misinformation. A little hyperbole. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I would encourage people to do the same thing. So if, if you uh, have an opinion about stuff like this and you, you realize, oh my gosh, I've, I've never even seen a commercial farm, you know, get some education. You may still maintain your same opinion. There's, and, there's and a that's lot okay. of great videos. Um, like, uh, I yep. think probably the pork board has stuff out, but mm -hmm. um, the National Turkey Federation and the Na National Chicken Council, we've even had, we even have Temple Grandin. Like we have famous yeah. people talking about yeah. how we do things responsibly. Yeah. So, so I wonder, so where can, where can we go? I know we can go to, what is y'all's website for the National Pork Board? Pork.org. Uh, pork. Pork.org. Pork. Pork. And then backslash COVID will yeah. give you COVID specific information. Oh, COVID-19. So uh, news yeah. hounds, don't, um, don't run off the road if you're listening to the podcast in your car. We're going to put the uh, links on our, our uh, episode notes um, for yeah. that. And Dr. Grogan, where would you suggest if they want more information on the poultry industry? So if you just Google chicken check-in. Chicken check-in. <laughs> Yes. I love it. And that's the National Chicken Council. They're harder to find, but there's mm -hmm. chicken check and then dot in. So it'll give you information. 
And mm -hmm. um, there's videos, there's stuff on our COVID response. Awesome. Um, and you can learn how we're responding as a, as an industry, but there's lots of videos on there, like just a regular normal day on a broiler farm. And, That's awesome. Yeah. So fabulous. Ladies, I can't thank you enough for joining us here in the Candyverse today. This um, is like a, like a power, you know, house of food yeah. industry. <laughs> I know. We need to have, we need to do something like this more often. We Maybe do. I'm so Candy glad can you Give that. us like a, you know, a food animal group. That's right. That's right. So I'm so glad you said that, Dr. Grogan, because I'm thinking we should have this like chick power. See what I did there? <laughs> what I did there. <laughs> but this group, we, we, should, uh, we should revisit commercial ag issues as they arise. And so I hope that you guys will be happy to join us again in the Candyverse and talk about it so candidly and with such expertise you know, dispelling the myths, talking about the safety and keeping us safe, keeping the folks that work in our food supply safe, because it is one of the key features of America is that we have the safest food supply on the planet and we, we do enjoy it and take it for granted. And, uh, I know I do. So I'm going to sign off, um, just so I can go get a snack. Um, cause we've been talking about food supply. So once again, thank you, Dr. Grogan, Dr. Fowler, Dr. Becton for joining us in the Candyverse. Thank you all for listening again, subscribe to vet candy at myvetcandy.com. You can follow us on social at, at myvetcandy, and you can find me at Jen at myvetcandy.com and Jason, I know you're listening in the basement and I'll see you on the next episode of in other news. Let's talk pets every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.